Okay. Good morning. We're going to we're in uh, we're in uh, the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, chapter thirteen. We're going to be looking at verses seven through sixteen this morning, which are uh, continuing in the uh, in the exhortations that uh, that he is giving to uh, that uh, basically are how we live out all the doctrine that he's taught in chapters one through eleven, and uh, uh, he's got uh, uh, this one is is very Old Testament as we get into. It and uh, probably a little bit hard for Gentile believers in the 21st century to comprehend um, because it's written to first century Hebrew Christians who understood it fully and were being uh, being bombarded with it. So uh, we'll try to make the best of it as we go through uh, go through this morning. Um, we've got uh, two more weeks. Uh, in Hebrews, and we'll finish in two weeks, and then uh, um, the plan is to start First Peter, and we'll go First and Second Peter. So that's the that's the that's the uh, current plan. I ran that by the bosses, and they said, "Yeah, keep going." So they didn't fire me, so you're stuck. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going. Uh, and we'll we'll be going into Peter after that. So this morning, as we look at this, uh, we're coming we're coming to the end of the message. Uh, we're coming to here. He's going to he's going to talk to them about uh, keeping in mind. Is is we'll talk about that in a minute when we get to these first words. But uh, 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 first of all, the leaders, uh, then holding to true teaching, and then uh, holding to true worship is the uh, is the basically the outline that I've given as we as we go through this uh, this morning's text, and uh, there's there's just a series of imperatives. All these these are commands uh, as he gives these out. These are not suggestions or good ideas. They they are in the first in the first verse. There's three imperatives, and uh, in the next verse there's another one. I mean, they, it just they just keep going, uh, but. Uh, uh, um, uh, this is this is uh, this is what he's calling these people to, and he's calling us to, and uh, uh, so that's what we'll be looking at this morning as we as we move through the text. Uh, do we have any prayer requests before we open this morning? Well, if not, we'll we'll just open. Father God, we thank you this morning as we as we come to this task, text. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us through it. That you would open our eyes, you would open our minds, uh, that we might understand, we might comprehend. But more than that, Lord, we would put it into practice in our lives. Uh, that we would be, as the final verses say, that true worship to you, and we would we would give you the thanks and we would give you the praise in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So first of all, we want to look at being, being mindful of your leaders, verses 7 through 8. And he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he begins by, he talks about leaders, and in these final verses, he, he brings up leaders three times. Here in verse 7, again in verse uh, 17, and finally in verse uh, 24. And while he doesn't state specifically any title given to these uh, these individuals he doesn't give any official uh, uh, title to them he does uh, he does tell us something about them one in verse 7 he tells us they are the people who teach the word they are the preachers uh, in verse 17 he tells us that they are the overseers of the flock because they're the ones who have watch over you and finally in verse 24 this may be somewhat obscure but it's there he says to greet the leaders 
and the congregation. So while they are part of the congregation, they have a special relationship to that congregation, which has to do with preaching and oversight. So I think we conclude conclude that these are what what we would refer to as the elders of this of this assembly. That's that's who he is talking to. <clears throat> Probably he didn't use that word because elder is an Old Testament Hebrew concept. They had the elders uh, as well, and he probably just stayed away from it so that there was no confusion because he's going to separate out Old Testament practice with what has been what is what is New Testament theology with Jesus. So, so I think that's probably why he did that. I don't have any proof of that. That's my assumption. So, just take it for that. Uh, but at any rate, uh, this group could have also included some of the apostles. Now. Note also that this is past tense in this first this first uh, first first verse, giving most commentators, and I think accurately, most translators have, have translated it this way, that these are past leaders who have passed, uh, and basically because as he gets on to looking at their lives, it's the sum total of their lives. So this these are these are past leaders. These are these are these are those people who have served the assembly. And have gone on to be with the Lord. That's the that's the the picture that I think that we have here. The NSB, the NASB translated traded translates it this way: says, "Those who led you, uh, those who in the past led you, is the is the idea here." And it doesn't mean retired ones. I don't think. I think it just means. I, I, I think it, it, it refers to those who have passed. Likely, he's talking about the, found, the founding preachers of this church. Obviously, these people were known to this church. They would have been, most of them probably would have, unless they're children, they would have been alive and set under their teaching. But they're to, they're to remember them. That's, what it, that's the idea here. He says they're, they're to remember them. And he gives three imperatives, and that's the first one, remember this word means to call back to mind that which you have known about a person. That's that's the idea here. It literally translates, be mindful. Guess where I got the title from. But anyway, uh, from this word, it literally translates, be be mindful of them. It's uh, it's a word that uh, that uh, that tells them that they are called to mind. Those men who have led them, those men who set the pace, those men who were were part of this uh, this assembly and who taught the word to them. He's going to talk to that in a little bit, in a little bit later. Uh, in thinking about this, uh, it caused me to call to mind some people. The first pastor I ever had was a was a man by the name of Ken Wells. He pastored West Park Baptist Church. He was a uh, he had a THM out of Dallas when Dallas was Dallas. And uh, uh, um, he was an excellent exegete of the word and a very, very gracious man. And, and I can remember one time I, I walked into his office just to say hello. I was there doing other things and uh, a very young Christian at that point. And he had this plaque on the wall and it was in Hebrew. And I said, what does that say? And he, he told me what it said. And then I got a half hour Hebrew lesson. <laughs> you know, he was just that kind of guy, you know. Huh? What did it say? Oh, shalom. But it was in Hebrew. I'm sorry. I, anyway, but if it had been in, I would have known if it was in English, but it was in Hebrew. So, you know, uh, but anyway, anyway, so, but I got a half hour Hebrew. He pulled this Hebrew Bible out and started, you know, I quite frankly had no clue what he was talking about, but he explained it. So it was okay. Uh, but anyway, but anyway, and I, and I think too, past some of the, 
the professors that I had at, at seminary, at, uh, 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 for example, Dr. Roscup, uh, who's gone to be with the Lord now, uh, the, probably the most powerful man in prayer I ever met. Uh, just the guy was just incredible, Doctor Thomas, who uh, was a New Testament professor. Hardest test I ever took in my life were with this man, but a gracious man who who taught us the Word of God. That that's what it, this that's the idea here to bring these guys to mind, uh, to remember them, remember remember what they taught you is the idea here. But he says he says to take that remembrance a little bit farther because he goes on in the next imperative. Remember is an imperative, incidentally, it's a command. Uh, and the second one is, is, is the second one is consider. He says to consider the outcome of their life. This, this word consider, it doesn't mean just, you know, kind of think about it a little bit. This word means to make a careful investigation of, uh, to be a detective in effect. Uh, you know, to look at their lives. That's, that's, that's the idea that he's, he's saying here. It's to look up a subject, to investigate, to observe accurately. And there's only a, one other place in the New Testament this particular Greek word is used. And it's in Acts 17.23. And it speaks, and it's being used there of Paul at the Aragopolis when he was walking amongst all the pagan uh, temples, and, and it, it says that he investigated them and found the one to the unknown God, which he then used to launch his gospel uh, message. So it's that kind of an idea to look intently, to investigate, uh, to look at their lives from beginning to end. That's that's uh, that's what he's he's wanting us to to do here. That's the idea that he's given. First of all, remember them, bring them to mind. Uh, and then look at their lives. Look at them carefully. And then the third thing you're to do, you're to remember them, you're to consider their lives, and thirdly, you're to imitate their faith. That's the third thing that he calls them to do, to imitate their faith. Just like those of chapter 11, these are the more recent heroes of faith for these people. That's, that's the idea here. Look at, the, look at these leaders. Remember them. Remember, remember their lives, what their lives were like. Consider it. Look at them carefully. Understand what kind of men they were. And then he says, and then imitate them. Then imitate them. Follow along the way they did. The point is, uh, they, they ran the race to the end. You're to do so likewise. This one brought to mind to me Dr. Smith, who was the, uh, who was the dean of Master Seminary when it opened. Uh, Dr. Smith was, uh, uh, had a had a class with him one time, but he was a, he was he was a, uh, he was a really gracious, great man who who helped get that seminary started. But I remember, I think it was in the second year uh, that he came into chapel one morning and he uh, he uh, told us he said, "I have terminal cancer, and I've spent my life teaching you how to be men of God. Now I'm going to teach you how to die like one." That's the idea here. Uh, that these are these are guys whose faith can be imitated, people who you can follow. You wonder why the, the, the qualifications for an elder are so stiff in Timothy and Titus? This is why. These are to be the people we, we look to in human form for, for how to live out the Christian life, to watch it being done is the idea here. First Thessalonians chapter chapter. Chapter 5, 
Yeah, chapter 5, verses, verses 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very, high, very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. That's the idea here. These are guys that are to be able to be looked to and to, to understand. Now, these are past guys. But then he makes this powerful statement. He reminds us of the ultimate example. The one who in chapter 12 he told us to fix our eyes upon. And he says, he says in verse 8, he says to us, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus, the same. Uh, this is only the third time in Hebrews he's used the compound name Jesus Christ. It's only the third time. He used it in 10.10. He used it here in 8, and he'll use it again in 21. Those are the only times he's used that. Otherwise, he just primarily used the, sometimes he said did say Christ, but mostly he used the proper name, Jesus. But here he uses the compound name. He calls attention to that. Uh, it, it calls, it, it, Jesus uh, embraces the work and words of, of God's Son on earth, and Christ is the official title, and it expresses his divinity. And that's, that's what he's, he's, he's expressing here. Basically, this phrase calls Jesus God, in effect, because he is saying that, first of all, he is unchangeable. He's immutable, one of the divine attributes. Secondly, he's saying he's eternal. That's what he's saying here. Uh, that's, that's the point he's driving home. Those are the things he wants us to see here. He remains in, in Psalms 102, verse 27. It tells us, but you remain the same and your, uh, uh, the same and your years you remain the same and your years will never end. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24. The author wrote, but, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He's eternal. He's unchanging. Uh, it's been suggested, and I think this probably fits, that the time sequence represents, represents the past, present, and future. It says yesterday, uh, yesterday, the mediatorial work he did on earth, in fact, in, the, in that he saved us. Uh, his his redemptive acts, uh, chapter two, chapter two of Hebrews, verse verse three. He wrote, it's he wrote, "How shall we escape if we ne- neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to those that heard." That's that's the idea here. Uh, that's that's the yesterday. Today, it's the intercessory work he does in heaven as our representative before God. Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-four. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who who is it at the who who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? That's that's the idea here. And then finally, forever. He, and it speaks of his priesthood in this in in this instance. Uh, chapter uh, seven, verse twenty-eight tells us that he is a priest forever. Those are, those are the important things here. What he's trying to tell us is is we had these past leaders to whom we can look to to see see Christianity being fleshed out. But remember, our real example is Jesus, the eternal God, who is never changing. Nothing changes with him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever.
That's that's the idea he wants us to understand. Revelation, our faith is to be in him uh, because he is the almighty, eternal. He is the eternal almighty is the idea here. Revelation 1.8, who is, who was. And who is to come, the Almighty. That's Jesus Christ. That's, that's our ultimate fixed point that we are to refer to. But we have these, these other leaders that we can remember and hold to mind. And then secondly, he, he calls us to be mindful of the true teaching, verses 9 through 11. This is kind of a, an interesting section. Nine is n- not real difficult to deal with, but as we get through the rest of it, we get very steeped in Leviticus. Uh, but uh, in verse nine, he, he still is coming off of verse eight. Jesus is the same yesterday and, and, uh, uh, and forever. And he says here in verse nine, he begins, he says, do not be led away. Another imperative. This is another c- command. Don't be led away. The root of this word is para, to come alongside. Uh, the NASB, uh, the NASB uh, uh, translates this being carried away. And the idea here is something, someone being carried along by something. Um, some, some texts put it led away. Some put it swept away. In Jude 12, it speaks of the false teachers who are like, Waterless clouds that are carried along by the wind. That, that's the picture here. What he's telling us here is don't be carried away. And he's going to explain that uh, ultimately by strange or foreign teaching is, is the idea that, it's, that is going to come out of this. He's going to be the idea here is holding to uh, holding to true doctrine, holding to the truth of scriptures, not letting somebody come along with some different idea, adding something, subtracting something, whatever it is. He says by diverse or strange teachings, he's not specific uh, but they're diverse and they're strange to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's the point. These teachings don't fit with what Jesus taught. These teachings don't fit with what the apostles taught. These teachings don't fit with the gospel. They're outside it. They're added to it. They subtract from it. Something, something to that effect. They're not consistent with Scripture is the idea. And he's, he goes, and, and, and we remember Paul in, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 30. He, told, he called the Ephesian elders together, to, and he told them, he says, you know, after I depart, this is my, my paraphrase, after I depart, there's going to be grievous wolves. And he, he says, they're going to come in devouring the flock, and there's going to be people who, who rise up from in the congregation, and they're not going to spare anyone either. That's the idea. There's always these false teachers that come along, that come along and, and uh, want to give us a different gospel. Um, basically, that Paul accused the Galatians of that, that they had turned to a different gospel that was not the gospel at all. You know, if you change any one part of it, you change it all. That's the interesting thing. You take, you put it all out of sync at that point. And basically, since Jesus never changes, the doctrines of Christ never change. They're consistent. They're always consistent. Galatians chapter 2, verses, uh, actually I want to read a, 
a, long, a longer passage here, verses 16 through, through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going, uh, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by by sensuous minds and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments growing with a growth that it that is from God if with Christ you died to the element elemental spirits of this world why as if you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used according to the human perspectives and teachings these are indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh that's what that's what he's that's what he's saying here. He's saying don't be caught up in these strange teachings, and he lists a bunch of them there. Now in the text, they're just going to deal with food, but food is not really the issue here. The issue is false teaching. That's that's the real issue. Now I gave you in the bottom of your page, I gave you a whole bunch of references. We're not going to go through them. But just a whole bunch of references to false teaching, and they 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 cover a a, a banquet of nonsense that has been tried to be promoted as Christian. It's legalism, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's uh, libertinism, both sides of it, both sides of the coin, all the way through. In fact, I put down Jude 5 through 16, but you get to put the whole book. You know, literally, that's what that book is about. The point is, is that the teacher, the, the, the author is calling these, these teachings varied and foreign. And he's going to use ceremonial food as the prime example here, because that would have fit very closely with these Hebrew Christians. And a lot of what was going on here was trying to draw them back in uh, to, the, to the worship and, and, uh, of, of Judaism. Uh, to, to d- depart from, either add to or depart from the gospel and, and bring back in Judaism. Uh, the, second, uh, the second part of the verse really deals with those things which are spiritual, that is grace, and those things which are material, and he's going to use food as the primary example, where he, where he says in, in the last part of verse 9, he says, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, which have no benefit for those devoted to them. In 12, 14 through 15, he explained grace is living peaceful and holy lives. And he goes on in that, that section of verse 16 to use the example that Esau traded the grace of God for dinner. Literally, that's what he did. I'm, my appetite, my, my physical appetite outweighs my need for God. That's ultimately what Esau did. And that's the picture here. That's the, the differentiation, is that our appetite is to be for the grace of God in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have dinner. It just means, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry to interrupt. What was the, the reference on that one again? That was 12, Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 and verse 16. Thank you. 
Anyway, the teaching of these strange doctrines uh, was to think about strict dietary rules and draw uh, uh, that did not draw them closer to God. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, in his commentary, he uh, he wrote that uh, these teachings seem to have come out of out of uh, both both Gnostic and Essene and Essene teachings. In other words, they came out of false doctrines and people who promoted false doctrines. Uh, that's the idea here. And what he's telling us in verse verse 9 is not to get caught up in them. Don't get caught up in them and drug off. I've watched people do this in church. They get caught up in something that they think makes them closer to God and it's something. It's, it's not true worship. It's not grace. It's something they do. It's 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 works ultimately, and he's and that's what he's saying here. Don't get caught up in that. Don't be drug away by that. Verse ten, he goes on and he says, he says we have an altar from which, <clears throat> excuse me, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Then verse eleven, for the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now we're getting into the day of atonement. That's really what's being being talked about here as he, as he moves into this. And in, in, in verse 10, he is still talking about the contrast of the spiritual to the material. But here he talks about an altar. Now, in Christianity, we don't really have an altar. We don't go to an altar. Um, the pulpit isn't an altar. Really, the communion table is not an altar. Some try to put the communion table in this in this text. It's not an altar. Uh, we talk about an altar, we give an altar call, but you don't really come to an altar. You come to the steps at the front of the auditorium, they're not an altar, uh, you know, uh, that, that kind of thing. Uh, it's being used figuratively. It's not a literal structure in this sense in Christian worship. In Jewish worship, it certainly was. They did have it. But here, I think probably the best conclusion is we're talking about the cross and we're not talking about the physical cross we're talking about the cross as a symbol of Christ's redemptive work that's the altar we come to that's who we come to we come to Jesus and I think that's what he's that's that's what he's getting to here um it's the redemptive work of Jesus. This is repeated in Hebrews 9, 25, 26, 28, 10, 9, uh, 12, and 14. All of those places, that's the concept. The redemptive work of Jesus. And he makes the note that in the, in the Old Testament, the sin offering was burned completely. Leviticus sixteen twenty seven. The priest didn't get to eat any of it. The, the altar was tied to sacrifice. The cross is the place of sacrifice on our behalf. That's, that's the, the idea here. Leviticus foreshadowed Christ, as Galatians already talked about, which is the better sacrifice, which has been the theme throughout the book of, the book of Hebrews. And it opened the heavenly sanctuary, Hebrews 10, verse 19. We can come boldly before the throne of God because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the idea that's, that for the believer that is being, being expressed here. 
And then he, he goes on in verse 11, and he, he talks more about this. He says, he says, for the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now we're very much into Leviticus at this point. He explains the Day of Atonement. The author repeats the fact that the sin sacrifice was burned outside the camp. The reason for that is sin pollutes. It was totally destroyed. No one ate from the sin offering. Now, there were other offerings they did, but not the sin offerings. Not the sin offerings. Not the bull and not the goat. Their blood, uh, blood was taken into the inner sanctuary and the carcasses in total. I mean, it gets pretty specific when he says the body, the hide, and the dung are to be burned outside the camp. We're going to look at Leviticus for just a minute. A few few verses in Leviticus. Leviticus 16. I, I just have some selective verses that we're going to look at to, to kind of make the point that I, I want to make here. It says, first of all, verse 6. It says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself. It was for him first. He had to make his own sin offering or he could offer one for the people. And he says, and he shall make an atonement for himself and for his house. And then it talks about the goats is the next thing. And, and, and in verse 10, it says, But the goat on which uh, the lot fell for Ezel, Ezel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, and it shall be sent away into the wilderness of Ezel. Uh, basically, this is the scapegoat. What happened in this deal is there are two goats that are, are, that are brought in. One goat is for the sin of the people. The other, well, they're both for the sin of the people. One is to be sacrificed, and the blood sprinkled on the altar for the sin of the people. The other one, he laid his hands upon, and the sin of the people were placed on that goat, and that goat was sent off into this wilderness. Now, this name that is given to it uh, basically has several different definitions. One of them is scapegoat. And probably the wilderness they're talking about here, which I tried to look up and nobody knows where it is, uh, but it probably just means the place where they took that goat to, the scapegoat. So it was the wilderness of the scapegoat is, I think, what they're saying here. Uh, but, but that it was removed from the people, far away from them is the point, and it can't come back. That's, that's, that's the idea in verse 22. In verse 26, which is on the next page. Verse 26, the goat shall bear their iniquities uh, uh, on itself in a remote area, <clears throat> and it shall be let uh, the goat free in the wilderness. And then in verse, or that's verse 22, I, and verse 26 says, And he who lets the goat go to Azel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he can come back to the camp. He can't come back until he's clean. That's the idea here. Verse 27 says, And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought uh, to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried out, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin, their flesh, and their dung shall be burned with fire. And then verse 28, And he who burns shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come back into the camp. The point here is the polluting nature of sin. The polluting nature of sin was such that once the sacrifice was made, the, the element of the sacrifice, in this case the goat and the bull, had to be removed from the camp, including the goat that remained alive, and those who took them out burned the ones and set the other ones free, all had to be cleaned before they could come back into the camp. 
That's that's what he's telling us here. That's what he's trying to do. What he's trying to do is tell us the enormity of the polluting effect of sin. The contrast is in Christ. Christ's sacrifice removed sin once and for all, and for all his people. He entered the heavenly sanctuary where where he uh, where he represents believers in the presence of God. The day of atonement had ended in Christ. That's that's the point that's being made here. That's what he's he's and he's going to he's going to go on as we go into verse twelve about that. Christ is superior to the Old Testament ritual and it fulfills the law. Don't fall back into ritualism is the warning here. Don't fall back into that. It has no value. And then he goes he he, he goes on to what now a true worship looks like. And, and in verse twelve he says this He says, therefore, I've said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who... Oh, wait, I'm sorry, forgot to move back to to, uh, Hebrews, still in Leviticus. Okay, verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and to bear the reproach he endured. For here we have a lasting city, but we seek the city that is, that is, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continue, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruits of our lips to acknowledge his name and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So here he's going to talk about what worship is going to look like. And the first thing he says is, Jesus also, his crucifixion took, took place outside the camp. At the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the world. That couldn't be within the camp. You understand the camp, uh, to the Hebrews, was a very sacred concept. The camp is where the Hebrews dwelt as they're on their wilderness journey. That's what it was called. They called it the camp. Uh, and, and basically here, uh, all the sacrifices had to go outside the camp. So here he is saying, Jesus also, just like those sin offerings were taken outside the camp to be burned, his crucifixion took place outside the camp, outside of Jerusalem. They, he, he went outside of Jerusalem to, to be crucified. Now, it's not exact because the animals were killed inside, but, but uh, it's not, it, it still represents the same idea, the, the idea for sin. Now, there is an exception. There is one exception, Numbers 19, 1 through 10. Uh, this is the case of the red heifer. Uh, the red heifer was a sacrifice for the tent of meeting, and the tent of meeting was set up after what happened with the golden calf. Moses removed himself from the camp because the camp was now polluted. He removed himself from the camp and set up the tent of meeting outside the camp, and there the red heifer was sacrificed and the blood sprinkled on the tent of meeting. That all happened outside the camp. 
that may be kind of a, a an idea here of a sin offering outside for the tent of meeting, the place where God meets with man. I, I think that probably probably kind of ties here. But he tells us that Jesus suffered outside to sanctify his people by his blood. Verse chapter ten, verse ten. That's uh, uh, tap, chapter ten, verse fourteen. Uh, <clears throat> For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. That's the idea. Those that are set apart for God are sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's you and I. That's one definition of a Christian. Uh, that's, that's who they are. Uh, and he says, therefore, based on this verse, based on what we've just seen, based on the fact that Jesus was taken outside the camp and we are to come outside with him, he says, therefore, therefore, let us go. To him, outside the camp, and bear the reproach he endured. Uh, here he says, he says, let us go outside and bear the reproach that he endured. Uh, Jesus is outside the camp. He was rejected by Jerusalem. They basically rejected him. The, the Jews rejected their Messiah. They said, we want no part of you. And they cried, crucify him. And basically, he was taken outside the camp and he was crucified. He was taken outside of Jerusalem and crucified. They rejected their Messiah and they cast him out. And so when we come to Jesus, the idea is we got to learn, we have to learn to bear that stigma. And for them, this was a powerful thing because what happened to these Jewish believers? They got excommunicated for the most part. They were separated from family. Some of them lost their jobs. They lost their land. They lost their inheritances. They were pushed out. And that's what he's telling them. Hey, come to Jesus. Bear the reproach. Join him outside the camp. Outside the camp of those who rejected him. And bear the stigma. Chapter eleven and chapter eleven, speaking of Moses, in, in verse uh, in verse twenty six, it says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth that the tre- uh, greater wealth than the treasuries of Egypt. Egypt was a pretty wealthy country. He saw him far more valuable. Is the idea here? Uh, this is the call to the Hebrew believers and to separate themselves from Judaism. This is a call for separation, ultimately. Uh, To separate from Judaism, to fully uh, identify with Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling them to do. It's the same call for us today. Be separate from the world system that we live in and all that it teaches and identify yourself with Christ. As I said in Exodus 32, we had the incident of the golden calf. And and in Exodus 33, 7 through 11, we see Moses has to set up the tent of meeting, the place where people would meet with, with God outside the camp. The camp, the uh, the note, the camp in Exodus established fellowship. But indeed, uh, it's uh, the uh, the idea was that all those who were inside were in a sacred place, uh, and you can find that in Leviticus ten four, in twenty four fourteen, twenty three sixteen. Uh, 
20 through 22 in Numbers 12, 10, uh, the call to believers is to leave the camp, to the Christian believers, to leave the camp and to go to Jesus. Uh, that sacred place became profane uh, because of sin. Jesus had, and Moses set up his camp in chapter 33, outside the camp. That's the parallel he's drawing. That's a parallel these Hebrews would have got. They would have understood this. They would understand that in the wilderness march, the camp was the place. It was the sacred place. They profaned it with their sin at the golden calf, and Moses set up the place of worship outside the camp. Likewise, Jesus went outside the camp to provide redemption. As believers, we have to come outside the camp to join him. That's, that's, that's the idea. He's trying to, trying to get across here to them. And, and he, he, uh, he, he goes on with this whole idea of separation. He says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Uh, that's the idea here. He says, he says, we have no lasting city here. We have no, tie- we have no real ties uh, to this world. Uh, we're not to be tied to it. It's easy to be tied to it. It's where we live. You know, it's where we live. It's where we work. It's where our friends and our neighbors and all that kind of thing is. Uh, But the fact of the matter, this is not our home. We are strangers and sojourners in this world. Our call is to be ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.21, our relationship with this present world is to represent Christ. That's, That's what we're called to do. And he says, this isn't our city. And this city isn't going to last. Hebrews 11.10 speaks of God's city. 12.17 says that it can't be shaken. It's it's a city that can't be destroyed. Uh, Ultimately, what he is saying to us is, our home, the city that is to come, Revelation 21, verses 9 through 22.5, the new Jerusalem. That's, That's what we're looking for. Uh, that's that's what he's calling us to. Don't be tied. These believers didn't need to be tied to the old system. They needed to be tied to Jesus. They needed to be tied. <laughs> I'll just hang on to it. Uh, they, they, they needed to be tied to Jesus. They needed to be, t- and we need to be tied to Jesus and look forward to the time when we serve with Him eternally in the New Jerusalem. Not be tied to this planet. Or to this to this world system, literally, is is really the idea. He says, "This is not our home." And then in verse fifteen, he goes on and he says, "He says, through him, let us then continually offer up offer up a sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name." <clears throat> Here it says that within Christianity, while the sacrifice system has ended, there still are acceptable sacrifices. That's the idea here. Uh, There's still sacrifices that his believers uh, can offer. And the first one that he brings up is he says, he goes, uh, he he quotes from Hosea uh, chapter 14, verse 2, where he says, the fruit of our lips, Uh, that's the praise and worship. Uh, that we give toward him. It's what hopefully we're doing now, and hopefully what we'll be doing in the next hour, and hopefully what we do through our days. Uh, 
uh, and when we were in our homes. It is that we, uh, uh, it, in Hosea, called Israel to return to the Lord with words of repentance, the fruits of their lips. For us, it's our praise to Him is, is how it's being applied. In other words, what comes out of our mouth? What we say about God, how we, how we communicate with Him. We have a God that wants open communication. He speaks to us through His Word, and He wants us to come to Him in prayer. And He wants us to give praise. And then in Psalms 54, verse 6, it says that we would declare His name is a willing sacrifice. We declare the name of God. We declare the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in a world that doesn't really want to hear it. But we're to declare it. That's, a, that's an acceptable sacrifice to Him. That we would, we would name Him. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says our lives are to be a sacrifice. We're we're make our lives a sacrifice on His behalf. Uh, we're to live lives declaring His name and working that out in what we do and how we do and how we serve Him. First uh, Thessalonians five eighteen says that by giving thanks, recognizing God in everything, and recognizing His sovereignty in everything, and and His care in everything, you know sometimes that's hard to do. This guy, when he was uh, two, had a, uh, had a, uh, I forgot what it was called. Yeah, but it's a a staticus epilepticus seizure, which basically means he went out and they put him in a coma to bring him out of it. And they told us, we don't know if he's going home. And if he does go home, we don't know what condition he'll be in. You know, it's hard to give thanks at times like that. Those are times when it's hard to give thanks. And it was a time that drove us to our knees. It was a time that endured uh, Professor um, Roskup to me because I shared it in chapel. And uh, every time he saw me on campus after that, until I graduated, he asked how Michael was by name, and he never met him. You know, it's a powerful time. Powerful time. But he now has a master's degree and has gone on with his life, so, you know, he still has some problems from it. But nevertheless, nevertheless, you know, it's just give thanks in everything. There are times when it's hard to give thanks. But God is sovereign, and he was in that. Uh, those, are, those, are, those, are, those are the things he calls us to. Uh, then in First Peter, which we'll be looking at again, First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He tells us this, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. All of these things are to be offered to Jesus Christ. Our, Our words, our lives, our thankfulness. Those are, an ex- according to Peter, are an acceptable sacrifice to our Lord. That's how we are to live. That's how we are to be, to be seen. That's how we are to be recognized. And then finally in verse 16 he says, don't neglect, here's another. He says, don't neglect, and once again it's an imperative, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He says, look, don't, uh, 
Don't neglect the care of others. Uh, don't, don't neglect doing what is good. Now, this doesn't mean good deeds save you. They don't. Good deeds follow salvation. Salvation always comes first. Uh, you can't work your way into heaven. My brother thinks he's doing that. And it's, it's difficult to talk to him because he thinks, look at all the stuff I've done. God will have to accept me. No, he doesn't. Because he's God. And he owes you nothing. I had a good friend years ago that, uh, well, I went to seminary with him. And he took a little church <clears throat> that he pastored for, for a while. And during the time of that church, um, and, and this is one of the things that really hurts in a small church, is, is two Christian brothers got in a fight over money. They were two of the more prominent people in this church, and any two families in this church leaving it would have hurt it desperately. And they got into a fight. And my friend did everything he could to try to bring these two together to resolve. I think he did honorably before God. But they weren't resolving it. The money was the issue. And uh, it basically destroyed the church. It's torn apart. And he was bemoaning to me one day, and I and my gracious way said to him really what did God owe you because he gave me the whole list of everything he had done and he says and then it didn't work and I said so what did God owe you you know God owes me nothing I owe him that that's the point that's the point and what does God owe you here he says here's what we owe we owe the sacrifice of praise. That's, that's the idea here. We're, we're not to neglect doing good. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, speaking of the brethren in Jerusalem, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came up over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and, and, and belongings and distributing the needs to all as they had need. And daily they attended temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and, and gracious hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this isn't calling Christianity a communist commune. It's talking about a specific, specific thing that happened in Jerusalem because it was overrun with people who came to Christ, many of which who didn't live in Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem church did everything it could to care for them. That's literally what was ha- what was happening here they did all they could to care for these people the uh, fellow christians and, and basically god honored that is what what we were being told in that passage james in chapter 1 verse 27 says that religion that is pure and undefiled before god the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world that's that's the picture here he's saying here's here's an acceptable sacrifice to god You take care of each other. That's the bottom line here. The bottom line is you look out for each other. If there's a need and you have the ability to meet it, you should do it. That's the idea here. In fact, you're kind of obligated to do it based upon what God has done for you. It's, It's a response to the graciousness that he's shown you. It's not a means by which... You gain favor for salvation. It's a means by which you show appreciation for the salvation you received. 
That's 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 the that's the idea. Ephesians two eight nine, and don't forget verse ten, which tells you the proper relationship. That's that's the idea here. That's what he's wanting us to see. As we come to this text this morning, what he's giving us is a bunch of imperatives, and those imperatives are: follow your leaders, remember them. Well, not so much follow them here because they're past, but but remember your leaders, remember the lives they led, and then imitate them. Don't get off into f- crazy doctrines. Don't let some knucklehead write a book and you read it and you run off into it. That's what happens in Christianity today. I went into, uh, when Berean was there one day, I was looking for a commentary. The wrong sort of look for commentaries in. But anyway, I went there looking for a commentary, and they had bestsellers, 10 bestsellers. Nine of them were psychological self-help books, and one of them had theology in it. That's Christianity today. That's the books you run into today. Don't go to them. This is the book. This is the book. Stay with it. That's what he's saying. Don't get caught up in that false doctrine. Stay to the true doctrine. And then then he gives us all this example from the Old Testament of the relationship of things. And basically he uses food as the example, but he says, your focus is to be on the grace of God, not on things. And not these things somehow draw you closer to God. They don't do it. They don't work. They didn't for Israel. They won't for you. And he says, remember the true sacrifice. It was Jesus outside the camp because the camp rejected him. And he went outside the camp to bear your burden. And having bore it, now you bear the reproach that comes with that. The insults that may come, even martyrdom that these people will be facing shortly. He says, even that, those are the things here. And, he, and then he ultimately, he says, he says to them, oh, excuse me, he says to them that they are to worship God truly. And that yes, there remains a sacrifice, and those sacrifices have to do with the praise of our mouth, They have to do with the actions that we take in regard to our brothers and taking care of them. All of those things are acceptable before God. In other words, they give praise to him. That's the point here. That's that's what he's trying to draw them to. He's wanting them not to get up, get caught up in some kind of ritualistic, legalistic practices, but to worship the true God and to worship in spirit and in truth, to recognize that Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. The unchangeable, eternal God. That's who we worship. Any comments or questions this morning? Did I confuse you? I confused me. But anyway, let's, no. I, I read this. I read through this stuff at least eight times this week. <laughs> uh, the different different views on different things and. But anyway, it's a, it's a powerful passage. Yeah. I thought it was really neat that um, that verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, the same forever. Like that always seemed like so bizarrely placed, thrown in there. Like it connected to something else. But now I see more of a connection of it. Just like the you know the faith chapter eleven and going into twelve, you're looking at Jesus and everything. Yep. Everything. So you're looking at these leaders that lived their lives, but ultimately you're looking to Jesus. 
Exactly. We have examples. Yeah, that now makes sense. Yeah, we have human examples, but the ultimate example is Jesus. That's the and and that carries on through the whole thing. Uh, that 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 insertion there tells us, look, he's the same yesterday and day forever. He is the Almighty God, the eternal, the eternal, unchangeable Almighty. That's that's what that's what it's pointing us to. I don't think I'd ever seen that verse in context before. Yeah. Well, good. I did something right then. Okay, thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this text. We thank you for this time we've had. Uh, We just ask that the Holy Spirit will now take these words and make them a part of our lives. Uh, Cause us to to respond positively to your words and that we we would do just that. We would remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the eternal, unchangeable, almighty God. And that's whom we serve. And that all that we do would be to his glory and to his praise and may this time be that and we thank you in jesus name amen